Welcome to Cardboard Conjecture. We're a podcast about board games where we have opinions and conclusions formed on the basis of incomplete information. This episode of Cardboard Conjecture is brought to you by these great Saskatoon businesses. Amazing Stories Comics on 8th Street, Dragon's Den Games on 8th Street, and Breakout Escape Rooms on Faithful Avenue. Well, hello there. How's it going, eh? This is What You've Been Playing Wednesday, and this is a special weekly episode that's a compilation of all the board games that we've been playing recently. And on this episode are The Meeple Dungeon of Dice and Men. Definitely a board game podcast. Dice and Dragons. The Tabletop Bellhop. Board and Game. Board on the Air. Mr. Board Game's Lonely Table. And Cardboard Conjecture. And with that being said, sit back and enjoy. Hello everybody, it's Rob and Anna-Marie from the Meeple Dungeon. Hello. And we are back recording for the What You Been Playing Wednesdays podcast. And this week we've been playing two games in particular. The first one we are going to talk about is King Domino, published by Blue Orange Games, designed by Bruno Cathala, art by Cyril Bouquet. And this was uh, the 2017 Spiel des Jahres winner. So we're talking about a pretty good game here. Um, For those of you that don't know about uh, King Domino, it's a tile laying game where you're laying out a 5 by 5 grid on uh, on your own kind of player board or on your own little castle. And you're using domino style uh, tiles. tiles that are two sides, like uh, double tiles, right? So you're, they're always going to be two pieces of land that you're you're taking up when you're laying it down, whether you put it up and down or left or right or whatever you want to do, but it has to fall into a 5 by 5 grid. And you're trying to score points by lining up similar or the same i should say the same tile types like the forest same tiles types of terrain the terrain types yeah. yeah side by side all the forests try to get them to touch t- together all the sand to touch together all the ocean tiles to touch together and to count up the little trophies that are in the corners of these tiles and crowns. use those they're like a king's crown oh right? crown yeah they're not a trophy. Yeah. you're right crowns crowns that that uh, will be your multiplier so if you have five ocean spaces with two crowns, that'll be worth 10 points at the right. end of the game. But the cool part about this game is the mechanics on how you get the tiles. So you're going to lay out four tiles at random, and they're going to go in a certain order. With There's numbers on the back of the tiles, and you're going to put them in uh, descending order from top to bottom. And you're going to someone randomly is going to go first, and they're going to take first crack at selecting one of these tiles with one of their little meeple people. And then one after each other... You're going to select a tile until all four of those first tiles are taken. And then you're going to lay out four new tiles. And they're going to go directly beside the tiles you just laid out. Again, in descending order of the numbers on the back. And then whoever took the topmost tile uh, in the previous round will then have first choice at which of the next four tiles they want to take so it's always going to it's always going to t- determine the player order for the next round so it's so cool yeah it's super, I like super it. easy yeah and cool to do but really thinky because you want to know do i really want to go next round early or not and a lot of times i find it's more um determined by what tiles you're going to take like it, it yeah it'd be, it's great to go first but then if you've got a tile three or four down mm-hmm. that's got a bunch of crowns on it that fits kind of what you're going for oh, yeah. or that the other person really needs and you're like oh i can't let you get that <laughs> Which tile you've done to me several times <laughs> I had to yes and she always beats me at this game she just outthinks me the whole way <clears throat> i don't think i beat you oh no i won game. the last game you're right quite so, handedly yes, beat me. <laughs> i did i did win the last game pretty decently but that's pretty rare uh but no uh, king domino is a fantastic game it won for a reason uh, i don't even remember what it was up against but it's a really good game and, yeah, we haven't actually got to play it a lot. We've only just started playing this on the regular over the last couple months. Yeah. Really. Um, I mean, we picked it up ages ago, and we had 
you know, lots of intent to play this game. It just never happened for whatever reason. But yeah, we're playing it a lot right now, and it's it's great. So one thing I really like about this game um, is when you're building out your five by five grid, you can um, you you have to have your little your castle somewhere in that grid so your castle makes up one square of the five by five grid but you can build out your castle any way you want surrounding it and when you put out a new terrain type that is not already anywhere on the board um, it has to be connected to that castle yes that's a good point and i like trying to build out my castle like with the starting the castle in different places and it's fun because then it keep it kind of keeps the game moving and i'll find i'll build it and i'll be like oh no Oh, I've yeah. made it wrong, so now I have nowhere else to lay a tile. Yeah, and you'll end up like burning tiles, right. right? And just yeah, you really have to pay attention to what you're doing with that five by five grid to make sure everything's going to work. But it helps to keep it interesting for me, and I like it a lot. But yeah, yeah. great game, King Domino. What's the other game we're going to talk about, Anna Marie? The other game we're going to talk about is Golems. This it was designed by Francesco Testini, and the art was done by Sergio Chavez. And it was it is from Thundergriff Games. Yeah. So this one, I'll just jump yeah. in here. <laughs> this one kind of fell into our lap. I uh, got it given to us from a friend of ours uh, in Kelowna, Dave, who ordered this group. So this is from a, a series of games called the Matchbox Games from Thundergriff. And it was a series of five games, I think, that all went on Kickstarter all at the same time. So you kickstarted the bundle, I believe, which he did. I don't know if you could just pick one or two or whatever, but he got all five of them. And he kind of forgot about them, and then they showed up on his doorstep, and he doesn't have time to uh, learn these games. So I was over at his house, and he said, hey, I got these games, I don't know anything about them, why don't you take some of them, learn to play, and then you can teach me. And I was like, oh, you know what, sure, let's do that. And um, so we have three of them here, three of the five, and the first one we tried was Golems. And I really enjoy the game so far. Uh, we've played it a few times. It took a while because I, I found that the this rule book was not very user friendly, not helpful no. to the game at all. So bad. And I'm like I'm I'm pretty smart. I feel like I can understand <laughs> yes. rule books. Yes. Um. But this one was just I didn't know. It, it was hard to follow. There are cards in the game that have symbols that are nowhere to be seen up. in yeah. the rule book. So that aside. Um. I read through the rules. You had watched, I think, a watch it played with it. Yeah, it was um, one, of the, one of the online. Some, or something on there. Yeah, I don't know which I don't one think it, was. it was. Rodney, but yeah. Oh, somewhere. sorry, not, not that one. No. But anyways, um, it was, uh, anyways, so we, we kind of figured out, we pieced together how to play it. And it is fun. I, it is cool. Yeah. I want to play it a, quite a few more times just to kind of try different strategies and read the rules and get a specific um, play in there. But it's yeah. good. So very quickly, the, the way it works is you, you lay out... Uh, 12 of these golem cards onto the table and you are purchasing them using these uh, gems and you've there the 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 12 cards are laid out in three or four sets of three so every time you want to take a card from one of the sets of three you have to lay out two gems one on either of the other cards that you didn't take and then the next round if you want to take from that round you'd have to move the one of the gems from one of the other two cards to the last card and then if you want to take that other card on another round, you would take the card and the two gems. So it's kind of, that's the way it kind of works. And you're trying to build these golems. Uh, the golems will, they're, they're multi-use, so you can either build it for its cost or you can take the card and use it for its resource right. color at the bottom. And you're building out a tableau of these colors and, and uh, kind of an engine you're kind of building to acquire these golems and build them. It's really cool, but we need to play it a bunch more. And, uh, yeah, they need to work on the rule book. But, yep. yeah, that's Golems. Um, but we got to run. Uh, this has been Rob and Anna-Marie from the Meeple Dungeon, and we'll see you next week. Cheers. See ya. It's another session of What You've Been Playing Wednesdays, and I'm Chad from Of Dice and Men, the podcast where we talk about board games, the people who play them, and the culture surrounding the hobby. Today we're going to talk about a big game that recently showed up on my door from Leader Games, Oath. Oath is an area control game, kind of? It plays up to six players and comes with a solo mode, and has players in different roles all vying to be the next ruler of the kingdom through various victory conditions that can change as you play the game. Players take the role of leaders in their particular factions, spending their influence with the population to control sites, gain favor, control relics, and ultimately win the game. 
If you weren't on board game social media the last few weeks, you might have missed the surge of oath selfies that a lot of content creators were posting. The game is a luxury experience with artwork by Kyle Farron, Leader Games' resident artist who also worked on Root, Fort, and Vast, a neoprene mat, fancy wood meeples and tokens if you got the KS version of the game, and a whole bunch of content. The gameplay is very much like Sandbox Risk, if that makes sense. It's an area control game in a lot of ways, where control of an area is demonstrated by having your warbands occupy its space, and you take over other areas by campaigning against them using your troops against their defenders, each allowing you to roll a certain amount of six-sided dice. Unlike Risk, however, the board state is a constantly shifting landscape of cards where the population played to an area can change its value and abilities as you play. This is where the Sandbox moniker comes into play. The wildly varied cards that are deployed as the game progresses makes Oath a very fluid experience, where the interaction between Denzine powers and sites and relics and roles opens up hundreds of possibilities as you play. The random interaction between cards also enables a type of storytelling, as though they've designed a toy box full of fascinating curios and you and your game group get to mash them together like a kindergartner. In our latest game, one of my opponents had recovered a relic that allowed them to jail any of my defeated troops. In response, one of my citizen allies was compelled to go on a rescue mission to recover the relic and subsequently free my imprisoned soldiers, the interaction of which created an opportunity for a third player to put themselves in a position of power. This variability does have a downside, however, with players having to reevaluate the game state every time their turn comes up, it's easy to forget about or miss an interaction in your first few games. The first few rounds of combat in Oath will have you referencing the player aid a few times, and probably making a few adjustments to the number of dice you should have rolled if you had noticed that one thing earlier. The surface area of what you can do expands with each round, which, combined with the fluid game state, can bog down some player turns as they try to consider what their best moves are. The other negative thing I'll bring up, since we're on that slant, the game board, although very luxurious with its fancy neoprene mat and beautiful color gradient, is quite wide. Considering how many cards are in play, and the fact that they've given most of their surface area to featuring Kyle's artwork, it can be pretty hard to see what's happening in the cradle if you're sitting closest to the hinterland. We had issues in our 4-player game, and I can only imagine the number of cards you won't be able to see in a 6-player game. To add to an already dynamic game is the concept of role in Oath. There are three main roles, Chancellor, Citizen, and Exile, and your winning conditions depend on what role you have at the moment. Chancellors have an oath to uphold and need to be the oath keeper by the end of the game. Citizens have their own victory condition, but also require the Chancellor to be in a winning state in order to qualify. And finally, exiles can either attempt to become and remain the oath keeper, or attempt to inspire the land with a vision. This creates some neat relationships between players throughout the course of the game, and you'll find yourself keeping an eye on who the current leader is. Oath is very much a game of stop the winner. But that's not all, your role can change as you play. The Chancellor can grant citizenship to any exile, or can exile any citizen, although both actions have a cost associated. Furthermore, you can steal the ability to grant or revoke citizenship from the Chancellor. If you think you've got a better chance as a citizen or an exile, but the Chancellor isn't cooperating, then simply take it for yourself. Oath is great, and with these features alone, I would recommend the game as a great area control game to bring to the table. That, however, isn't the only thing to talk about. One of Oath's big speaking points during the Kickstarter and the game's development is that Oath has a perpetual history to it. At the end of a game of Oath, the winning conditions and board state directly affect the starting state of the next game. If you want as Chancellor, you can build or repair an edifice, and the areas, denizens, and relics the winner controls are pushed forward to create the map for the next game. If an exile won the game, sprouting visions from the slums in the hinterland, that's suddenly the cradle next game. Cool concept, right? Yeah, but... I found, unless you're planning on playing Oath with a very similar group every time, it doesn't actually add a lot. If you're like me, and you bring your games to a bunch of different locations with different groups, having a history isn't really a benefit when introducing a game to new people. Why are we starting in the slums? Oh, because of this epic victory that I haven't explained to you yet by this player who you've never met when we played three weeks ago. When learning Oath, I played the game twice solo, but I purposefully avoided updating the game state at the end because I wanted my other friends to have a similar first game experience. Now that we've got a chance to game in person, I have the new game state stored, 
but I feel like I can't really play it either solo or with anyone else because 1. they won't appreciate the game state, and 2. I don't want to change the state for my prior group. It's really more personal hangups than anything else, and it might just be a side effect of so many legacy games played, but Elf's history feature can be really awkward if you're not playing with the same group. Almost like getting through a few months of Pandemic Legacy and then suddenly bringing it to a new group starting on game 3. I still highly recommend Oath, particularly since it basically comes with an expansion worth of content in the form of sight and denizen cards that you won't see until you play the game a few times. There's a lot of value in the box, and even more so if you have a consistent group to play with. Well, that's it for me. I was excited to get to play in person for the first time in 8 months last week, and hoping to do more of that in the future and of course sharing my quick reviews with you. If you want to hear more, you can tune into our podcast of Dyson Men, wherever great podcasts can be heard. Have a great week! Hello, I am A.A. Ron Milic. And I'm Royce Calverly. And we are definitely a board game podcast. A podcast definitely about board games, except when they're not. And we're here once again on What You've Been Playing Wednesday. Royce, what you been playing on Wednesday? I don't know if this qualifies as a board game or not. Oh, okay. Uh, it might be more of a miniature game. It is a miniature game. Oh. It might be the perfect miniature game. I played a lot of Warhammer 40K. I played Confrontation. I played Dystopian. I played lots of miniature games over the years. The one that I love the most was Star Trek Attack Wing. Mm. And I just love it because it's only a few models. They're pre-painted, but they're nice pre-paints for the most part. Like, they're not great, but they're pretty good. Uh, you can repaint them if you want. The rules are simple, clean, neat. Uh, movement is really well done with these really excellent movement tracks. The only reason I haven't recommended it to a lot of people in the past was because WizKids, uh, who put it out, had a nasty habit of not supporting it. Uh, and it's been a few years since they put out anything new, but this year they put it, they've reissued the main set, okay. uh, the basic box. They put out a couple new faction boxes and they've even put out uh, star Trek attack wing Alliance, which is a co-op version of the game. So if you want to play co-op instead of confrontational, so I'm really excited that star Trek attack wing is back it's a great game. I highly recommend it to anyone who's interested in playing a miniature game but doesn't want to spend a lot of money, doesn't want to get like heavily into the miniatures, doesn't want to have to paint their own or assemble their miniatures. This is a great option. The rules are great. And yeah, I just can't – as long as they continue to support it, I will always recommend Star Trek Attack Wing. Awesome. Sounds good. Uh I have been playing a much less complicated game. This is actually a horrible game. Horrible, horrible. If you've ever played this game, there's something wrong with you. And there's definitely something wrong with me because I played it. I don't even know how it got in the house. It's a terrible, disgusting game. Came out in 2011. Brent Nudson, Brian Nudson. What's wrong with you guys? Closet Nerd Games. Kittens in a Blender. Disgusting. Terrible. But a little fun. (laughs) (laughs) It's not so bad. So basically... You have your little stack of cards, you have a color, and, and you got your cats, and they all have these really cool names, and they're very cute. And then you actually use the box itself. And one box lid is going to be the box, which is where you want your cats to go, because cats are cuddly in boxes. And then one side of the box is going to be the blender. You don't want your cats there, because guess what? <laughs> cats and blenders don't go well together. And basically, all you're trying to do is put your opponent's cats into the blender and your cats into the box. Super simple, except when it comes time to actually hitting that on button in the blender and watching your opponent's cats and sometimes your own get blended and tossed out of the game. I don't know who came up with this. Well, I do. The Nudson brothers here. Weird. Horrible. Why do we buy it? I don't know. I guess we're weird, too. We like it. Maybe you will, too. It works well with two players, works even better with four. So if you're just disgusting enough, give Kittens in a Blender a try. Uh, (laughs) I don't even know what to say. (laughs) Monster. Yeah, I am. It's true. I I would never. Anyway, let's not get into that. Um, Where can they find us, Royce? 
Oh, they can reach us. Do they want to reach us anymore? <laughs> <laughs> Blending kittens. I don't All right. Know. Yeah. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at <laughs> Board Definitely. You can find us on Facebook at Definitely Board. You can reach us at Gmail at Definitely gmail.com sorry at gmail.com you know what i mean and you can find our podcast absolutely anywhere if you want to hear more about games that are absolutely disgusting and why would you ever want to play them (laughs) feel free to listen to our podcast you can find us on iHeartRadio, google podcast and everywhere else where podcasts live apple spotify all the good ones yeah all right i guess that's it for now royce anything else no not after that eh? i ruined everything i'm sorry all right we'll see you all next wednesday what up gamers i'm jason i'm julie and together we're dyson dragons you can find us on youtube facebook instagram at dyson dragons and twitter at dyson dragon and what is it julie it's what you've been playing wednesday so tell everyone what have we been playing over the last week well you're going to correct me on both accounts because I won't be precise enough. But we've been playing some Zombicide 2nd Edition, Washington, ZC. Anything you want to add to that? Yes, it is published by Simon Games and Guillotine Games. was designed by Nicolas Raoult, Raphael Quiton, and Jean-Baptiste Lullier. This is the campaign expansion. We're almost done the campaign. We thought we would finish it, but not quite there yet. So you might hear about it one more time on What You've Been Playing Wednesdays. And we are playing one of the Power Rangers expansions. I don't think we've got like 150 of them at home. Uh, Maybe 150 characters, but not 150 expansions. (laughs) This is the the Space Rangers, right? This is Rise of the Psycho Rangers, which does feature the most popular Power Ranger team of all time. That's right. Julie said it. It's the Space Rangers. Let's rock it. We're going to kick some Psycho Ranger butt. And save Angel Grove and KO-35 from the forces of Darkonda. Well, Dark Spectre. Darkonda was just a villain. Never mind. It's been a while since I've seen this stuff. Probably like 20 years. <laughs> Don't remember it quite that well. So let's talk a little bit about Washington, D.C. I think this is going to be a real, real short segment. We played a couple more missions since we last talked about it. And I think we started to f- find some of the wonkiness and flaws in the campaign. I'd say that uh, everything works really well, but some of the instructions on the later objective cards are a little vague and unclear and led us to playing some overly long games. Yeah, we had to, you know, we had to find, uh, we had to find some stuff. I'm not going to, don't want to spoil it for anybody. And it it was just, at the end, it got tedious. Uh, Just, you know, search. What are we doing? We're searching. We're searching and we're killing zombies in the meantime to survive. So... It got a little long, uh, and I got to a point where I, I looked at Jason and I said, I'm done. I don't care. I don't care if we win or lose. I'm just done. I'm done searching. I'm done. And then we looked at the card, and the card says you will find the item that you need here, but it doesn't say that you can keep it, and it doesn't say that you can discard it, which, as I said, is the little bit of the wonky aspect to some of the objective cards. So, you know, you might want to look at the mission, take into account the spirit of the mission, and play as you think is best because searching over and over again, surviving waves of zombies does get old if you're two players after a while. So moving on to what I'm really excited about, Rise of the Psycho Rangers. So we've got uh, one of our games in. We're also playing with some of the uh, villain pack number two villains. And uh, we just completed the game with the Psycho Rangers as the main villains, the boss, the nemesis we had to defeat. And I got to say, it took us a while to play through this. I, th- I thought we'd be playing for like 15, 20 minutes. It was probably closer to 40 to handle the Psycho Rangers because they're not easy. They're probably no, they're the hardest villains that we faced yet in the game. Uh, just to explain how it works uh, compared to the other villains, with the Psycho Rangers, you have to defeat 12 cards, two for each Ranger, and they have some very nasty abilities that can chain <laughs> if you're not careful. Now, that being said, in some of the other expansions, we commented about how we didn't feel that the team was very well balanced. Not on what you've been playing Wednesdays in our reviews. You can find them all over the channel. But I like the Space Rangers versus the Psychos. It felt like a good, even matchup. I agree. I mean, like I said, like you said, it was long. Um, 
And the thing I would say, though, about the Space Rangers is I don't think they're as powerful as other Rangers that we've played in the past. I mean, honestly, uh, they're they a bunch of colorful Rangers, and they kind of blend together. I mean, besides uh, uh, Kimberly, Kimberly was pretty uh, <laughs> pretty cool. But, uh, you know, besides that, they're they're... They're pink, red, blue, green, yellow, black, gold rangers. I mean, they're they're very similar. Uh, but I do remember some having cooler powers than the ones we are playing with now. No, uh, I really enjoyed the Zeo Ranger expansion. And by far, I don't know if it's maybe because that is my favorite Power Ranger series or just because characters like Zeo Ranger 3 Blue and their power weapons feel incredibly powerful where we were actually able to murder <laughs> Mega Goldar and Cyclopsis really easily. These Rangers don't feel overpowered compared to Zeo. But what I have to say is they feel like they fit perfectly in the expansion that they were designed for. They balance well off the Cycle Rangers. They're not too strong and they're not too weak. Whereas I remember in Shattered Grid, we were taking the Hyperforce Rangers who really aren't some of our favorites, unfortunately. I don't think we've actually played them in a very long time. Those Rangers just didn't didn't play very well against the, the villains as a team. Whereas I do find that the Space Rangers, like the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers and the Zeo Rangers, work well as a team. Their, their abilities combo well off each other, while Hyperforce was very much cool individual abilities. Yep. I mean, I don't have a lot to add to this. I mean, I, I would say... I I personally feel like this is another Power Rangers expansion. I think there are others that I preferred, uh, but I had fun playing it. And I know you enjoy all of the intricacies of all the different ones because you remember them, you remember the stories. Uh, to me, this is just another another good expansion, one that could be as good as others. Well, I, I agree with, with Julie. I don't think there is any real special standout characters uh, i mean we recently played the uh the expansion where we had all of the uh the other rangers the uh, added rangers and there were some really cool rangers in that box and while none of the rangers really stand out i have to say this has a great standout value with the villains you also get the new mastermind mode to play one versus many something i don't ever see us playing necessarily unless jackson's a power rangers fan so we can i could play the villains uh against his friends in the in the future but uh beyond that i really can't see us getting into the mastermind mode you do also get the psycho assault mode and you can also just play with the psychos as regular enemies and not as the big bad so you're getting a lot of variety in the package and that's where i think you're going to get the value but this is not necessarily something i would recommend for the team of rangers themselves but as an overall package i think it's the best big box expansion and there you have it You've heard our thoughts on it. You can find our video coming out uh, the day after this one. And in the meantime, we have to say, Jason, keep playing games. And welcome to the Tabletop Bellhop segment of What You've Been Playing Wednesday. I am Mo Tuzno, the Tabletop Bellhop, your cardboard concierge, answering your gaming and game night questions and striving to make everyone's gaming experience better. You can find me at tabletopbellhop.com and all over the internet as Tabletop Bellhop, one word. If you've got a gaming or game night question for me to answer, send that to questions at tabletopbellhop.com or visit that webpage and click on Ask the Bellhop. Of course, the question I'm answering today is, what you've been playing this past week? My week in gaming started off with more Battle of Gog, which actually is live now on Kickstarter, so if what I've been saying about this sounds interesting, head over there to check it out. Personally, we finally got a chance to try the copy I was lent with my kids, and we learned a few things. First off, the game is much, much better with four players. So much so, as I would say, the game as written in this prototype copy doesn't really work at two players. The map is just too big and too open, and there's no competition for resources. As an abstract war game, GOG works much better when there's a reason to fight over the territories. The second thing I learned is that my oldest daughter seems to really dig folk on a map games. This was the first time both my kids had tried this kind of game, and my oldest really took to it. I'm going to have to look through my collection and introduce her to similar styles of games, I think. 
possibly started with Kemet, as she also enjoyed the ability cards in Battle of Gog. Next up, my wife and I finally sat down to play our new edition of World's Fair 1893 from Renegade Game Studios. If you are a fan of the original, let me tell you this is the same game. Basically the exact same game. Almost everything here is identical, from the game rules to the physical components. The only thing new here is a short essay on racism and the inclusion of five new historical figures. While I do applaud Renegade for adding more diversity to their game, I just can't see this as enough of a reason to pick up the new version if you have the old. Now the last game we played this past week was a three-player game of Adventuria the Adventure Card Game with one of our awesome Tabletop Bellhop Patreon patrons. Now Sean, Deanna, and I met up with Courtney on Tabletop Simulator, and we played through the first short adventure named Saving Sylvana. Now Sean, Courtney, and I played the game while Deanna took on the role of narrator, reading the book and running the leader and henchman actions. Not something that's required by the game, but she really has a hard time playing with Tabletop Simulator and didn't want to embarrass herself in front of our patron. Now, it went over really well. I'm pleased to say that I'm actually starting to feel quite proficient using Tabletop Simulator, at least when playing Aventuria. Now, I'm not sure if any of the skills I picked up will carry over to other games on the platform, but I sure hope they will. Well, that's all I've got for this week. There's two big sales going down on Amazon.com this week, and I've got to get back to sharing the best of the bunch on my Tabletop underscore deals Twitter account. Find lots more gaming content at TabletopBellhop.com. Be sure to check out the Tabletop Bellhop Gaming Podcast, which we record live Wednesday nights at 9 p.m. Eastern on Twitch. That's over at twitch.tv slash tabletopbellhop, with edited episodes showing up on your podcaster of choice early Tuesday mornings. Be sure to also join us for our new Sunday Brunch with the Bellhop live show, which hits Sundays at noon. This is a completely unscripted show where I just chat with my best friend about whatever topic is of interest to us at the time. For the Tabletop Bellhop Gaming Podcast, I am Mo Tuzano, the Tabletop Bellhop. Good night, and game on. Hi. This is Andrew Buckold of BoardingGame.com, and this week I'm here to talk about Lose on Rails. Lose on Rails is a cube rails game recently fulfilled via Kickstarter. Lose on Rails is designed by Robin David, with board and card art by Jesse Kapasan, and box and additional art by Tiffany Moon. This is a cube rails game, so it's one in a genre of games where you set cubes out on the map to represent tracks for different railroad lines. You gain stocks in those different lines via auctions, and you all can also improve areas on the map by developing them, making them more profitable for the railway lines that have connected to them. Luzon Rails is set in the Philippines, and it has five different railroads on the Luzon Island. Luzon is the largest and most populous island in the Philippines, and the capital city of Manila is located on that island, and Manila plays an important role in this game. Luzon Rails is Robin David's first published Cube Rails design, but it has a lot of similarities to some of the classic Cube Rails titles of the past including the likes of Chicago Express, German Railways, Irish Gauge, Dual Gauge, Iberian Gauge, and more. The reason that this is a genre is that there's a fair bit of overlap between these titles, but each of them has enough interesting twists to make it worth playing on its own, and Luzel on Rails definitely does that. One big shift with Lose on Rails is that the actions you take on your turn are determined by a card display of action cards. This display is refilled to seven cards at the start of every round, and you also have two cards in your hand that are private to yourself. You can play those instead of playing one of the communal action cards if you want. And that has a couple of interesting effects, because these actions are similar to what you find in many other Cube Rails games. There are actions that involve building track, actions that involve auctioning a new share, actions that involve developing a hex already on the map. But because some of this is hidden information from these cards in players' hands, you don't always know exactly how many auctions there will be before the next round of dividends. 
However, this hidden information is at a level where it has a nice effect, but not a game-destroying effect, because each player only gets two of these private action cards, and they only get to refill them after even-numbered rounds, after rounds two and four. So there's a little bit of hidden information, but not enough to disturb people who like more standard Cube Rails games. The basic structure of the game involves an initial auction where one share of each of the five railroads is auctioned off and the winner chooses where that railroad is going to start out of the five places on the map. The last railroad has no choice in starting position, but whoever wins that share gets to take the first turn, so there's a bit of an advantage that way that counteracts disadvantage of being last to choose starting position. After the initial auction, turns go just around the table with each person doing one turn, either taking an action on the communal display of action cards or playing an action card from their private stash. A round ends when the seven communal action cards have been played, regardless of how many are still left in players' hands, and that leads to another little interesting effect of those private hands where you can affect the timing of when the round ends. That's important, not only because that means that new action cards are going to be coming up, but also because railroads pay out dividends at the end of each round. So you can have a lot of impact on the tempo of the game based on whether you play a card from the communal selection or whether you play one of your own cards. The dividends in this game work like those in Chicago Express and many other Cube Rails games, where each railroad pays out the amount of money it's currently making divided by the number of shares sold. So it's very beneficial to you to be the only shareholder in a railroad, and this leads to a lot of interesting shared incentives and non-incentives. To boost a railroad's income, you can connect it to a production city, which boosts it by one and also boosts its die by one, or to a port city, which boosts its income by the value of the die. This is interesting because it sets up incentives to do these production cities early in the game and the port cities later in the game, but you also need early income to reinvest into stocks. There's also a one-time plus free bonus for connecting to Manila, and that also leads to an immediate payout to the shareholders of that railroad only, so the connecting to Manila can be very important. The game is going to end either at the end of six rounds or when one of three other conditions has been triggered. The free companies have no shares remaining, free companies have free or fewer track tokens, and there are free or fewer development tokens remaining. I didn't mention the development tokens earlier, but those are also important. They provide a way to get more money for the railroads that have connected to that hex. At the game end, only money you have collected is worth anything and the player of the most money wins. So it's very important to time when you buy shares and for how much so it doesn't tank your value in the end. Luzon Rails also has a cool solo mode, which is very unusual in Cube Rails games. The solo mode here involves just giving the AI shares of certain stocks at particular times, and it simulates good competition without a lot of rules overhead. It's definitely a lot of fun to check out. Overall, I think Luzon Rails is a great game, and one that's definitely worth checking out if you're into Cube Rails, or even if you think it might be worth exploring Cube Rails. I'm Andrew Buckholtz. You can find me on Twitter at Andrew Buckholtz, B-U-C-H-O-L-T-Z. You can also find my board game writing at boardandgame.com. Thanks for listening. Hi, I'm David. And I'm Shay. And this is What Have You Been Playing? What You Been Playing, for those of us who actually say it properly. A weekly podcast of a group of Canadians... Who talk about the games they've been playing, and that's about it. Yeah, we're all Canadian. We are all Canadian. Uh, on tonight's show, we are segment, not show, segment. Yeah. Our on, seg- our, on our segment, which Dave is nailing today, Yeah. we are going to be talking about Anachrony, which is not our game. It is a game we currently are borrowing from Mr. Ryan Rao. More of a hostage situation. Currently, yeah. Uh, currently, we originally were boring because I'm painting the minis in it um, for, for Ryan, and we played it and loved it. So, um, you know, 
We're taking taking bets. Yeah, it's bidding war. A bidding war of uh, whether he's willing to cough up the cash to get it back. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, we're gonna talk about talk about the game. Yeah, so and in how an accurate. Yeah. yeah, we. Spoiler alert, we love the game. It's Had fantastic. a great time. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the game, you it is worker placement. And the, the interesting piece of it is there's time travel in it. So your future self can send you resources, up to two resources or workers. or there, There's an assortment of nine things they can send you back. Yeah. Uh, they can send you two per round. The game lasts seven rounds. And the the gotcha is that you need to actually pay them back. You have to pay them back. Yeah. So like the idea is think of it as like a time loop, right? You're borrowing from your future self, but then you as your future self needs to send stuff back. Yeah, and if you don't, you lose, lose points. points. Yeah. Yeah. Like like in life. You know, if you if you don't cl- close that time traveling loop, you lose points. Yeah. yeah. Real life. In like in real life. Definitely. Yes. Uh this is David Tersi from Mind Clash Games. Uh, Ryan, Ryan had the Infinity Box. I now have the Infinity Box. <laughs> uh, there are a lot of neat stuff going on. Uh, there's all these exosuits that you have to put your workers into to go out into the capital and take your worker spots. You're also building buildings in your area where your workers can go to without the exosuits. Uh, it's really cool. It, you know what? The game itself, like when we set it up, it looks really intimidating because you, you each have a player board and you have all these guys and we're playing with the minis and you've got a main board and there's also like the tracking board at the bottom it, there's just a lot of stuff going on. Yeah. And we watched like one setup video, one rules video, and honestly, it was not hard to get into. It's one of those games that's, it is a heavyweight game, but the actions themselves are pretty straightforward. Yeah, you, you know that, okay, we, and honestly, it's the, the way the game is set up with its little help sheet is really easy to follow. And you know, it's like, okay, so we got, to, to pick all our guys. Okay, now we have to pick what we want to take, you know, help yep. from our future selves. Okay, now we take that stuff. We take our resources that we we have, which is usually water. Yeah. You have to decide um, how many exosuits you want to power up. Decide how many exosuits you want to power up. And then you go through in turn order, one after the, each other. Uh, either put your guys out, uh, build a new building, do some research. Basically, take some resources. You just pick what you want to do, right? And, yeah. you know, like a good worker placement, it does mean that it will fill up. There are certain places you can go, though, that you can access. Uh, yeah, if one area is yeah, all one full, area is you, full can, you can go there. You can access it through the other spots. And there's other things. You, there's always something you can do because there's a couple spaces that as many people as want to can go there. Yeah, I don't think there was any time where I was like, oh, nothing I do can help me. Yeah. There, there was always something good to do. Yeah, and you can play guys on your character board as well. So there's there's a lot of things you can do with people. Um, when it comes, like, there's a little bit of a, a balancing act because when you're borrowing, like, items, if yeah. you have the most of those triangles on, or the little triangle pieces yeah. that you borrow with, if you have the most of those on that era, era for, the, for the game... Then you have to roll a paradox dice. Yep. And if you get a paradox, then you get a bad building that will lose you points at the end of the game. Now you can basically build on that building and get rid of it. It does sacrifice a worker, but then you don't lose points, right? Yeah, and there's four different types of workers you can have. There's one that's sort of a wild card. There's a scientist, a uh, there's admin. A, a genius. Yeah, the genius does everything. Yeah. The engineer, the admin, yeah, and, and the, the scientist. scientist. Yeah. And, and each of the areas, one of them usually has a bonus for going there. Yeah. So, you know, things like keeping them awake, because that's an interesting thing in this game, is your workers, when they come back to your board, are asleep, and you have to wake them up, which either costs something or, like, either in the, the sense of water or victory points. Yeah. So there's all these kind of neat tracks that you're trying to move up so you can get more victory points, uh, as well as build buildings, which give you victory points. And there's end game 
uh, objectives as well. Although I didn't look too much at those until like right at the end when you're just kind of scrounging for points. Um, yeah, I, I did very poorly at the objectives. Yeah, I actually got three of them. Yeah. Yeah. I did, I did pretty decent. I actually did decent at the game. I only lost to Jordan, uh, my brother, One by point. Three. three. Three? I got 16, he got 63. Yeah, I, once more I finished dead last in the family. You didn't get lapped. I, I did not get lapped. <laughs> Thankfully, there was not a scorecard that allowed me to get lapped. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it has been a bit of a dry spell for me uh, for winning. Uh, but once more, Anachrony is one of the best games I've played it's- in recent uh, memory. It's so smooth. Uh, considering I'm not a huge worker placement fan, like it, it's, uh, or at least I'm not a huge straight worker placement fan, yeah. right? And it, it, it plays so smooth. It's gorgeous. As I've been painting the minis, I was looking at the uh, storybook, which has all this information about the characters, which if you're a fan of theme is really fun to read. I but was telling, you're, you're <laughs> able to skip over that yeah, and yeah. get to the mechanics. But, I, but you do have to deal with me telling you all of the story as we go through. I'm like, these guys are doing this and they're so cool. And, you know, it's, it's a very, very interesting game. It's beautiful. Uh, and I definitely want to play it again before we have to give it back and then buy it and paint the minis again. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I'm David. And I'm Shay. And this is What Have You Been Playing? We are Board on the Air, a weekly podcast, a weekly radio show. And podcast. And podcast. Uh, radio show is Thursday night, six o'clock. Podcasts are all your favorite podcast sites. Don't forget on CFCR on in Saskatoon. On CFCR in Saskatoon. Have a good night, guys. Hey everybody, it's M. What's going on folks, it's R. And together we are Mr. Board Games. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Mr. Underscore Lonely Table. And on YouTube by following the link on our profile or searching for Mr. Board Games on YouTube. And today it is What You've Been Playing Wednesday. And this week we've been playing Boss Monster. Boss Monster is a game we've had for a very long time and it's a game we have played for a very long time as well. Uh, I think we have played it... I don't know if I'd say it's the most played in the cabinet. One of, one of the most played, and one of the games that we've got other people hooked on. Well, who? Who did we get that My hooked My brother-in-law. On? Right, yeah, we got your yeah brother, brother-in-law on that one. I just didn't think we had... Did we, play with, did we play with Kay yet? No, I don't think so. But I think we've talked about it a lot and got him super excited about it. This is true. And we got a really fancy little mat to go with it. Our play mat. So that we have a nice organized area to lay out our heroes and our dungeons and our monsters. And it's just pixelated art all the way. Yes. 8-bit art, which goes with 8-bit music because you can't play the game without that. Well, you could. It's just not as fun. It's true. It's not as fun. And we have expansions. Yes, we have a couple of expansions, and they uh, they made several versions of said game as well. It's true. But uh, in case you've been living under a rock and you've been wondering, what the heck is Boss Monster? Boss Monster was what existed before Overboss. Everyone got all hyped up over Overboss, but people forgot. Boss Monster started it all. And you know what we disco- I discovered recently? What did you discover recently? Well, thanks to the folks on Twitter, I discovered that you can actually buy custom cards. Yes, and we actually got custom cards. Yeah, in fact, what got me stuck on the custom cards was that Brotherwise recently released, um, I think it's, uh, let's second one, two, three, four, four? I think four or five content creators they wanted to immortalize in their game. And of course I bought them because, hey, why not? And then we also got some other fun ones like Santa Claus. Because who doesn't want Santa Claus to come into their dungeon? Exactly. And Gouliard, which is a lovely little monster room with, you know, little ghouls playing basketball with a little head. But but best of all, monster ma- uh, matrimony. <laughs> this is true. Allows you to win the game together. And there's new bosses... Like yeah. Allie, the unicorn of majestic power. I think I'm really digging the whole gin and tonic cat. <laughs> it's true. Just because it's funny. 
And so, the brothers wise. And the, yeah, that's, I don't know why they didn't make it for themselves, but hey, they did. So in case you were also wondering what boss monster is, basically it is a, gar- a game where you have, you are a boss monster and you, uh, try to attract people into your dungeon heroes, the meddling heroes to call the goody two shoes come into your dungeon. Cause you want to collect their souls. Yes, because, you know, hey, why not? And it's a kid-friendly game, weirdly enough. It is, and that's one thing that we hooked my brother-in-law on was that he could play it with my nephews because it's a 8-bit art, which he's a big nerd, Mm -hmm. and it was simple enough to learn and play, and it was something that he could teach my nephews to play and doesn't take a whole lot of time. And how old are your nephews? Uh, Six and nine. Well, they will be six and nine. And we taught this to them, what, how many years ago now? I want to say it's like been four years since we played it at Christmas. Yeah, it's been a while, but hey, I wonder if he's actually, I've never asked him, asked him, has he been playing it with his, with his boys? I don't know if he's been playing it with them. We'll need to check on that. You know, also what else I like about it? What else do you like? If you have been playing Super Nintendo games like Mega Man and Super Mario, some of the cards reference them. Yes, I think the nostalgic vibe of referencing of different um, games from our youth. Get over here. <laughs> That's not Mortal Kombat. No way. No, mm-mm, just borrowing it. Also, Gang Boy. <laughs> Instead of Game Boy. Yeah, Gang Boy. <laughs> Which, yeah. like, I just wish we could show you these cards as we're talking about them because the art is fantastic and the pictures are just amusing and fun. And even though we've played it a bunch of times, I still get amused by the cards and the way you lay them out to attract your heroes. And make fun dungeons uh, that get five stars. Yes. Yep. Five Five star reviews. Yep. That would be the, was it the art gallery room? Yes. The art gallery. Five stars. Five stars. Yep. In case you don't know what we're talking about, well, that's, that's a playthrough we did and it will be coming to a YouTube near you. Yay. But not yet. Uh... Other than that, I have nothing extra to say about about Boss Monster. Boss Monster is fun, easy to play, 30 minutes, bada bing, bada boom. Yeah, a variation on the deck building with not building a very big deck. And it's fun. And you should check it out if you haven't already. And until next time, you can check us out on YouTube or reach us at Twitter or Instagram at Mr. Underscore Lonely Table. And until next time, keep it on the rails. That's at capital M, capital R, underscore, Lonely Table. And since we're keeping it on the rails, you should also keep the dice on the table. Have a great one. The ducky dice. The ducky dice. Hello, everybody. This is Norm from the Cardboard Conjecture Podcast and Bridge City Board Gamers here in Saskatoon. And it has been a few episodes since I've gone to the Facebook community page and uh, have taken a look at what people have been playing here in the Bridge City. So let's do that. Let's go to the thread. What you've been playing Wednesday. So let's start off with Eli. Eli said he'd only managed a quick game of Sprawlopolis this week. I've heard of Sprawl. I can't even say it properly. Sprawlopolis. Um, it it uh, it smells of uh, city building, and I like me some city building. So yeah, good job. I'm gonna have to look that one up. Ryan. Ryan has not. Uh, Ryan did not come on the episode tonight, but he has said that he's all over the initiative. And um, what is initiative by unexpected games? Um, It is, he described it as a uh, kind of a meta thing. Kids find a game and uh, they play the game within the game kind of thing. So cool. Got to like that meta. Mike, uh, Mike, I'm just going to open up the image here. So Mike has played some Pandemic Hot Zone some flamme rouge oh yeah that's the best bike racing game ever well racing game is my favorite nemesis might as well call it aliens but didn't get the ip uh barrage yeah i've wanted to play that it's it looks so cool it's sort of like uh 
Um, yeah, it, it, the, what was power? People said power grid with more uh, um, connectivity, I guess. I don't know. I don't know what I'm talking about. Uh, Brass Birmingham. Yeah. Yeah. Man, Roxley did such a good job on that game. Uh, the artwork is stellar. Uh, the next one, Praga Kaput Regni. Yes, good job. Uh, I like, I have got the <laughs> guilty admission here. I have that game. I haven't played it yet. I know, we'll take a moment for the gasp. Okay, next, uh, he played role player, Targi, role Targi, has Ryan talked about Targi on this episode, on the show before? I don't know, I'm not sure. Uh, and role for the galaxy. So, yeah, that, uh, that's a crazy lineup. Well done. Well done indeed. Jeff, another solid week, he says, and he gave a screenshot. So Barrage, Blackout Hong Kong. I see a connection here uh, with Barrage. Uh, Blackout Hong Kong, um, uh, Alexander Pfister. Yeah, yeah, I have that. Again, guilty admission. Haven't played it yet. Uh, Brass Birmingham, Flamme Rouge, Gugong, Nemesis, Newton. Oh, Newton, that is a excellent, an excellent, yes, an excellent Euro. I love that game. That's so much, what a, what a beautiful puzzle. Uh, Praga Kaput Regni, Roll for the Galaxy, and Role Player. So I'm wondering if there's some people that are gaming in the same uh, game. Same game. Uh, Marianne played some New York Slice. I've heard a lot of really cool things about that game. I've, I've not played it at all, but it, it, it intrigues me. Hans. Well, we're going to see some, we're going to see some, uh, some duplication here. Hans played Blackout Hong Kong, Gugong, Newton, Terraforming Mars, Brass Birmingham, and Praga Kaput Regni. I just like saying the name of that game. That's fun. Uh, Garth. Uh, had a fun game of paperback with my family and tried the, my first solo game of First Martians really enjoyed learning the game. It's, I don't know if that's the one that had the difficult rule book or not. But uh, yeah. Oh, love me some space theme. Yeah, absolutely. Good job. Tim played some Wingspan. <laughs> he put Wingspan. Yep. Yep. I get it. If it's a typo, it's still funny. Travis. Uh, he played Imperial Struggle, Lords of Waterdeep. Americaibo and tried Brass Birmingham last night for the first time. Always liked Brass. We played the original years ago, but only a few times. Glad to get back into it. Birmingham is the same base uh, aspects, but uh, plays very differently due to the beer. <laughs> yeah, well, of course, there's beer. There's, there's some beer in the game. Uh, would definitely play again. I'm jealous to hear of everyone playing uh, in person. Yeah, but you know what? Let's all be patient. We'll get there. Don't worry. We'll get there. Uh, Jason played some... Uh, I'm going to have to read it like he... Uh, say it like he uh, wrote it. Uh, Clank in space! Yeah, he put about uh, seven A's in there. So, yeah. <laughs> Which is very Canadian, eh? Uh, Brian... I uh, played some Sleeping Gods. Oh, yeah. Red Raven Games. I've got to play that game. That's, yeah, the artwork. I just I just love Ryan Lockett's artwork. Very, 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 very good. I like it. Gloomhaven and Dice Throne. Dice Throne, uh, another Roxley game. So, yeah. Good, some good CanCon. Um, that's, uh, that's a pretty cool lineup of games that the community's been playing. And uh, as mentioned... Everybody, we're getting so close to be able to play in person again, so we just need to be patient and uh, start writing up that wish list of of games that you uh, <laughs> you you want to binge on when uh, when you can. So uh, that being said, we're getting to the end of this episode, and as always, I'm so appreciative of everyone who listens, and as well, so appreciative of the fantastic Canadian content collaborators who, uh, I could put another uh, alliteration there, who compile such creative content. <laughs> um, yeah, let's just, let's just wrap that up there. Yes, thank you so much for everybody for listening, and thank you so much for everybody for, for making this happen. Um, and as always, keep your stick on the ice and take care out there, eh? 
If you like the content that we produce and the type of show we're creating, please leave a happy rating on iTunes or the podcast platform that you use. This would be such a great gift, and it would help make it easier for others to find us when they search for board game podcasts. This episode of What You've Been Playing Wednesday has been brought to you by Cardboard Conjecture, who can't even imagine what it's going to be like to play board games in public. Thank you.